Hello, lovely listeners. This is Alessandra McLaughlin, the Patron Services Manager at New Conservatory Theater Center. When I'm not making sure your ticketing, be they digital or physical, needs are taken care of, I'm also a freelance director and arts administrator, which gives me permission to do really cool stuff like this. Today, we have an extra episode coming at you where I get to sit down with Ed Decker, NCTC's artistic director and the director for In Good Company. Ed is a man who needs no introduction in the sense that he is our steadfast leader. He has been running NCTC since its inception. He's worked on plenty of world premieres, including a few of his own, which is fantastic. So Ed is a writer, director, arts administrator, all-around renaissance man, and I am very excited to sit down with him and talk today. Hi, Ed. Well, hi. Hello, Alessandra. What an introduction. You're welcome. You. You can hire you. Me. I'll, do, you. I'll, I'll start doing your intros at the theater, too, when we're back in the States. It'll be great. I'm ready. All right. Well, the first question I have is, how did this idea come to be? Obviously, you've done so many stage works, and you've written for the stage, and now you know, we don't have the luxury, what we feel might be a luxury of having the stage anymore. What was it like to work on something like this? How did this even come to be? Well, you know, uh, the theater was shut down back in March, like many theaters around the country. Mm -hmm. And it seemed at that point that every day we were facing yet a new revelation and a new situation about how, how we would be able or not be able to function as an arts organization. And it started to feel in the early days of the pandemic um, a bit like a soap opera because every day there was some new drama. Mm -hmm. so, so the idea sort of popped into my head like, hmm, what if we followed ourselves um, or and or theaters through this situation because um, we are actually living a soap opera of epic proportions. Mm -hmm. So the idea of a episodic radio serial, um, which back in the day, there were many soap operas right. using that format, mm -hmm. came, into, came into view. So that is where the idea originated. And then... I reached out to five writers that I knew and uh, said, asked them what they thought. They all thought it was a terrific idea, thankfully. Thankfully. And, <laughs> and jumped in and said, what, when can we begin? Each of these writers has a very different perspective, a different style, you know, and they were writers that you've worked, you know, you and NCTC we've worked with before, some that were brand new to us. What was it like to put these voices together? Well, you know, it, it, it was rather miraculous, Alessandro. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we were all concerned with at the very beginning as we were outlining the stories, because we each writer was going to write uh, one to two episodes of the 10. Mm -hmm. And that meant that every writer was going to be responsible for an evolution of a character's, not just storyline, but their voice. And there was concern about well, how does one writer's style sort of pick up and run with, you know, the the the, the events that happened before, and and it, it it became very clear to us early on that once we identified the characters and agreed on all of them, and we had outlined and storyboarded sort of the, all the ten episodes, mm -hmm. all the writers just 
fell into the voices of the characters sort of naturally and organically. There was no there was no moment where I was like, oh gee, um, you know, um, Jewel, you've gone the character would never go this direction, you know, or speak this way. We all found the language of the characters and the voice of the characters together. And the challenge was more about, okay, these episodes are only 15 minutes long. Mm -hmm. So how do we make sure we are as specific as we can with the, with the storytelling? And I learned a lot of, from the television writers in the room mm -hmm. about how to get to those things really, really say, quickly. Cause it's very different than a play, you know, plays don't really follow that episodic notion i mean they can if you think about it in like the four act structure and all that boring jargon uh that you learn in theater school but yeah it, that had to have been a new challenge for you especially as a stage director to really look at it you know each episode is a different thing yes it was and the other thing that was funny when you were talking about the about the writer's room you know when i went into it i was thinking well you know 15 minute episodes <laughs> no big deal we can, you know, fine. We can do that. We'll be fine. Uh, never done it before, um, but we'll be fine. And when we got got into it, I started realizing, oh my gosh, yeah, fifteen minute episodes. But we're doing ten of them times fifteen minutes. That's a full length play in three hour in three weeks. Right. When you add those minutes together. Yeah. And had I thought that through before I started the project, I may not have jumped into the deep end of the pool so quickly mm -hmm. uh, i may have scheduled more time but that being said the writers more than rose to the occasion and within the three weeks we had the had the 10 episodes and the actors came on board and and uh, a miracle um maker sound designer engineer technical yep. team that really held this whole thing uh, together in its in its final execution and during the process of making it Alessandro because we we never were in the same room together ever yeah mm -hmm. what was that like because because everyone always says and you know the stereotype is theater is such a collaborative art this was collaboration in a digital landscape which is a whole new ball game everybody adapted really quickly because we as you say you know we all we all know that collaboration is a cornerstone of of making theater and and creating story, and every every actor um, adapted, brought that skill to bear, and just re sort of uh, you know formulated their 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 mm -hmm. process to this to the digital one. We could see each other on Zoom, and so there there was plenty of opportunity to collaborate with one another um, mm -hmm. in the theater when you're in the theater together you can you can I know this is going to sound a little california but you can feel each other but you know, but truly you can you feel yeah, there's an energy, energy right yeah and then there's a lot of visual cues if somebody's holding their body a certain way or moves across the room or exits the state you know there are other visual cues to pick up on that we had to um, shift to, you know, uh, audio uh, cues instead. But people seem to to take to it very easily, and uh, uh, because they're 
so such good. They were, they are such good actors. True. Uh, what was the biggest challenge for you as a director? You know, I, I was talking to one of the writers about how, uh, Eric talks about how when he writes, he writes and he hears it. So he was like, it was great for me because I could hear it, you know, and I usually hand it to someone else for the visual. You are both a writer and a director. So you've, you've you've seen both sides of the table what was it like for you as a director of this to completely push it into audio there wasn't a visual element at all well you mentioned eric i learned a great deal from eric during yeah. the process <laughs> because of his experience in the television writers room and tim pinkney and um elizabeth gregory wilder or the, 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 the those three and laurel um, Alstein um, had experience in the TV writers' room. Jewel and I were the only ones who, who really didn't have that. So we both really learned from that. We followed their their lead and really stayed focused on um, not only the pace of the storytelling, but how we could not rely on visual cues to transmit information right. and and as a director i'm primarily trained i mean that's where i go i go to the visual right i do um, too <laughs> yeah i lean into the soundscape of things um later in the process when those that piece gets layered in but in this case that is is a lead in the process it's not something that comes in after weeks of rehearsal and then we start layering in it was always present during the whole process yeah and i can imagine that 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 really changes things because i know for me my soundscapes are usually music based and this the soundscape of this podcast was so interesting because it was the things that you know you would put in in a tech week you would put in the you know like a sizzling bacon sound or things like that and to to have to rely on things like that to help further the story is, is difficult. Sure. And the, the other great thing that we had is our, our, our sound engineer and our sound designer, Kaylin Thibodeau uh, was with us the entire process, which is also unusual because usually what happens is you rehearse. I'm told this is the first time I've done this. So I'm told this is how it happens. You record all that work with the, with the actors and then it gets handed over to the to the sound uh, designer and they do their post work. And the good fortune of having Kalen with us through the entire process was that he also encouraged me to listen and suggested the type of sound cues and sound effects and transitional music. He was bringing that into the conversation very early yeah. so that we were on the same page with the feel of the story. Um, not just the practical, okay, the coffee grinder turns on, the door opens and the door closes, but what happens when a scene is finished and we transition, we punctuate that and we move into the next scene. Mm -hmm. How do you sort of clip that together? And as you said earlier, normally we do that in tech week, mm -hmm. um, but we were kind of thinking about that every step of the way. And to tell you the truth, I think when I go back into the, to the rehearsal room with, uh, in, a, in the live uh, setting, I think I would bring that skill um, and that process in much earlier 
Um, yeah. Then I would it's taught you something. It's taught yeah. you that yeah. that's that can be a useful thing. Yeah, very useful. That's great. So my final question for you is probably the more philosophical question that's on everyone's mind, which is what has it been like producing theater in this pandemic? And what, you know, what from this experience have you learned so far as an artistic director? Great question. So many, so many learning opportunities here. Yeah. Uh, I think probably first and foremost is remembering the, the nuance and the importance of kindness and compassion and our humanity first and foremost, not just in telling this story, but in writing the stories of our lives. And in particular in this moment, rewriting the narrative of our society so that it is more um, uh, inclusive and, and considerate of, of everyone. Um, I also think that I learned to bring some new tools to our toolkit in that one of the things that I am finding most gratifying in particular with this podcast, the door that it's kicked open for us at New Conservatory is that we now have listeners all over the world with a story that um, if we were just producing it at NCTC, mm-hmm. there would be, you know, the folks that are in our immediate geographic area being able to part- partake. Right. And there's something, because we are a queer and allied theater, there's something particularly um, exciting for me to think about how we can, we have a, I've learned about a new tool that can bring our stories to a much wider audience, but I've also realized that there is a way for us to bring other stories back to uh, NCTC, that it's a two-way street, that we could, through this technology, we can connect to other communities. Um, And let's face it, you know, there are many, many uh, queer communities around our, our, our world that are still Mar- uh, marginalized and persecuted who, and whose stories are not told. And um, I've always thought that it is the responsibility of New Conservatory Theater Center to not only tell those stories from our, our own home base here in San Francisco, but also to find a way to shine a light on stories around the globe, especially for folks who may not have voice in their communities to uh, express them. I think that's great. <laughs> so I, I think, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think that perfectly answers my question and is, is an inspiring, you know, it inspires me to keep going. <laughs> and I too. I yes. Too. So um, I'm, I'm glad that we have had this time to, um, to, to talk with one another and to uh, share a few more thoughts with our, our yeah, I, I really want to thank you so much for joining me today, Ed. I really appreciate sitting down and, you know, I love sitting down and talking with you. So I'm, I was happy to do it and I'm happy we got this time to chat. And I want to thank our listeners for listening to this bonus episode of In Good Company presented by New Conservatory Theater Center. We are San Francisco's premier nonprofit queer and allied theater. You can learn more about us and donate at nctcsf.org 
your donations help us give you content like this, as well as continue to operate and bring you as much as we can in this time. So any amount is appreciated. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at New Conservatory Theater Center. And thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And thank you, Ed, for joining us today. My pleasure, Alessandro. Thank you.